The Tudor History and Travel Show is a podcast that brings Tudor history to life by exploring Tudor places and artefacts in the flesh. You will be travelling through time with Sarah Morris, the Tudor Travel Guide, uncovering the stories behind some of the most amazing Tudor locations and objects in the UK. Because when you visit a Tudor building, it is only time and not space which separates you from the past. And now over to your host, Sarah Morris. Hello, my time-travelling friends. It's Sarah, the Tudor Travel Guide here, back to bring you another episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. Well, you'll be listening to this in early June, one of my favourite months of the year alongside May. And I'm particularly looking forward to this month, this year, because very shortly I'll be packing my bags and heading off on holiday. Yes, a proper holiday to the Loire Valley in France. It's such a glorious place to visit, full of those incredibly beautiful chateaux, which were, of course, well known to the likes of Anne Boleyn and some of her young female English compatriots uh, during their time spent in France. It's not my first time in the Loire. In fact, I think this may be the third or the fourth, but I just love visiting. And while this is going to be very much a holiday, of course, I couldn't resist the temptation just to grab a little bit of film footage while I'm over there. So yes, I will be doing a little bit of sleuthing on behalf of the Tudor Travel Guide and revisiting some of the steps that I undertook when I was researching, of course, initially in the footsteps of Anne Boleyn which was the first time I visited the Loire. I can't wait and I will be telling you all about my adventures. I am sure either here on my podcast or over on my YouTube channel or blog. So keep a lookout for that if you want to find out more information about those amazing places. But in the meantime, we are very much in England. In fact, as you will hear, I'm in the county of Berkshire visiting Shaw House, which is a great example of an Elizabethan house built by a family on the rise. And apart from visiting and having a tour around the house with our guide, Sarah Somerville, we'll also be putting our attention a little bit on what it was to be a gentry family on the up in Elizabethan England. Well, there's no more housekeeping for today. So with that, Let's go straight over and teleport ourselves to Shaw House in Berkshire and meet with our guide, Sarah. So welcome, dear listeners. Now, on this episode, you find me in the county of Berkshire. In fact, in West Berkshire, to be specific. I am about an hour's drive to the west of London, about midway between Bath, in fact, and the UK's capital and I've come to see a late Elizabethan house called Shaw House. Now, we often talk about hidden gems, but this is certainly one of those because I have passed through Newbury, which is a town uh, to which Shaw House is adjacent, on many, many occasions and seen the sign for the house and merrily driven by 
unbeknownst to me, there has been a fine Elizabethan manor house here. And I have come today at the invitation of our guest and our guide today, Sarah, to explore the history of the house. And so without further ado, let me welcome Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Thank you very much. Welcome to Shore House. Oh, well, thank you indeed. <laughs> and thank you for bringing me here and bringing this house to my attention. That's quite all right. I'm hoping to do so for many other people as well. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Um, before we start delving into the history of the house and the family who built it and lived here, maybe you could just tell us about yourself and, and how you come to be working here. What do you do? Yeah, so uh, my name's Sarah Somerville. I've worked in historic houses now for about a decade, so quite a long time. I started my career by um, studying museum and gallery studies at Aberystwyth University. Um, many, many years ago now. <laughs> um, and during my studies, while studying, I also worked at Highclere Castle, which many people will know instead as Downton Abbey. Of course. Um, I began my career there as a tour guide and eventually then worked in the events team. I was there about seven and a half years um, until 2019 when I moved to Shaw House. Okay, so you've been, so this is your second or third year? here at the house. Yeah, yeah, I've been here three years now and my job title is Visitor Services Officer, which really is an umbrella term for a little bit of everything. Um, <laughs> it's quite a varied job, but mainly I help with the day-to-day -day runnings of the house. Um, I also organise the larger events. We have fairs here across the year. Um, also working with the exhibitions and the archive as well. So lots to keep me interested. Yeah, and we'll definitely come back to those events and how visitors can come here and what's going on at Shaw. But in time-honoured Tudor travel guide fashion, I always like to start at the beginning. Very good place to start, as the song <laughs> goes, of course. Um, by talking about the house itself. So, dear listeners, what we're going to do is talk a, bit, a little bit about the house. And as ever, there will be a show notes page which accompanies this podcast where we'll be able to put some images of the house so you can see the house that we're going to be talking about. And we'll talk about the history of the building before going on to talk about the family. And then finally, as I just mentioned, giving you an opportunity to find out about how you can visit Shaw House. So we came through these lovely gates this morning, two fine red brick pillars and some lovely ornate iron, uh, uh, iron work on the gates up the drive. And in front of us, we have what is clearly a late Elizabethan house. Can you describe to us um, what we see in front of us what some of the key architectural features are and then maybe when this house came into being. Yes, so it's quite imposing, isn't it? You're coming up the driveway. Yeah. <laughs> so in front of us is Shaw House. It's a H-shaped house, as many of the homes were um, in the Elizabethan age. It's red brick and um, many, many chimneys, as you can see, many, many windows. Um, it's beautifully symmetrical in many ways. There's a few areas that have been amended through the years that have compromised the symmetry, but mostly it's symmetrical. Really, it's very much a prodigy house, and a prodigy house was something built with ambition in mind. Um, and it was built in 1581, and it was built to show off newfound wealth, status, and in doing so, they really, the family that built it, had their place earned in society. So I totally agree with you. It is imposing, it is beautifully symmetrical, and the windows, I think, are the thing that really strike me as I come up this driveway. 
I know certainly in the early Tudor period, glass was very, very expensive. Yeah. And I guess it was still fairly expensive in the Elizabethan period. So to have so much glass on display must have been a marker of status and wealth. Exactly. So there's various features on Shaw House that are representing that wealth and status very much so the glass. If you think back only um, a few centuries earlier, you were having much smaller windows because you had the more sort of medieval look to a house. It was more of a defense. Mm. Whereas now you could have large open windows let in a lot of natural light, but glass was still very expensive. So by having all these glass windows, you're really showing off how much money you have. But not only that, I mean, the brick itself was a material we, we take it for granted now, building houses in brick. But in the Elizabethan age, brick was really um, reserved for the royal palaces or royal households or those who could afford it. Um, mm. So Shaw House, this massive, imposing house made entirely of brick, is really, again, showing off wealth. And also another feature is the number of chimneys. Chimneys were very expensive to not only have installed, but also to run. It meant you had a, a household of servants. Mm. So again, very visual features that are showing off how wealthy the family were. Now, you mentioned that the house was laid out in an H-shape formation, which was, you said, typical of the period. Now, earlier on in the 16th century, it tended to be courtyard houses or double courtyard houses. Can you tell us why houses evolved to move away from the courtyard shape to the H shape? I think mainly, well, moving forward, a, a central hall was more um, popular, if you like. That was the architectural fashion. I suppose it's as architectural fashions develop, things change. Um, and certainly the hall at this time was the, the most fashionable feature to have. Um, so as you came into shore through the, the central doorway that I'm looking at ahead of me, you would have walked into a magnificent hall, a very tall room, double storey in height, had beautiful windows on both sides. So that was really the statement as opposed to an open courtyard. Um, and obviously the H shape was for Henry. Um, and I know later houses were an E shape as well. Um, but yes, that, that was just very mm. fashionable of that time. It's interesting because you mentioned the Great Hall there. And of course, in the early medieval houses, the Great Hall would be actually where everything happened. But I'm guessing by this time, the hall is basically becomes a ceremonial piece. So you go through those doors and you're met with a huge open space. But I, I guess visitors moved quite quickly through that into sort of the private apartments to be with the family. Exactly. So they would be welcomed into this very grand and um, spectacular hall. I mean, it'd be breathtaking. If, if the imposing building wasn't enough, you then come into this beautiful hall. But like you say, they were then brought through to um, the winter parlour, for example, or um, and, and if you think in this time as well, staircases um, sort of flamboyant staircases were becoming more popular again to show off wealth. If you could have quite a huge imposing staircase, that was a sign you were incredibly wealthy. So often the rooms that guests would be taken to would be on the first floor because you'd want them to go up that beautiful staircase. Oh, yes. um, so yes, they, they would be welcomed into the hall and often they would have their dinners in there. But for entertaining throughout the day, obviously the grounds were used, but other rooms in the house were also used as well. While you mentioned grounds, 
I guess there must have been a hunting park associated with the house. I mean, anybody who had money wanted to hunt in the age, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, it was the hobby. It was the thing to do, <laughs> wasn't course. it? Again, as well, showing off wealth. If you could invite royalty to come and do some hunting in your park, that was a pretty good sign if you could show off in that way. Um, but yes, originally the grounds at Shaw were hundreds of acres and that included the woodland, arable land, farmland, other houses for people working on the estate, of course. Um, and over time, sadly, that's been lost, but we do still have the immediate grounds and beautiful lawns around the house. Still. I'm sure we'll come back to those because yes. I'm sure those are things <laughs> that people can enjoy if you come and visit Shaw today. Um, now, prodigy house, I love the fact you gave the definition of what a prodigy house is, because I think a lot of people will have heard that term, but not been really sure. But that does lead us in to talk about one of the things we want to really emphasise in this podcast. So I know, dear listeners, um, you often find me in very, very grand houses and palaces talking about the aristocrats. And, uh, and in fact, um, we've been recently down to Wildon Downland Museum and recorded a podcast there looking at the very ordinary yeoman and his house. But I think the interesting thing about the family here is that they're kind of that up and coming sort of gentry who are making their money through business. Is that right? Is, is, is that basically, can that summarise the family here? Yes. So the builders of Shaw were the Dolman family and they worked locally in Newbury. They were cloth merchants. They had a factory in Newbury and they built up their wealth through the cloth trade, which was very prosperous. It was very, such a huge trade in the early Elizabethan um, times. And they made a lot of money from that. And like I say, they worked locally. And um, interestingly, Thomas Dolman I bought Shaw Manor then, as it was. It was a smaller manor house and estate. And it was good that he did because the cloth trade was beginning to decline. So as a good businessman, he instead invested his money into the estate, Shaw Estate. So. Sarah, why don't we continue that conversation and find out about this family and their growing wealth, maybe at the back of the house, because it would be lovely to go and see the other side of Shaw House. So why don't we go around there? Lovely. the other side of the house which is the north side of the house now I guess this was the back of the house right yes so as opposed to the south side which is the main driveway and you've got the main sort of central doorway 
this would have been, yes, very much the back of the house. So let's pick up the story of the family. You said he moved away from the cross trade because it began to go into decline. So what happened next? So basically, he was a very good businessman and instead invested his money into property and land. And um, Thomas Dolman the first purchased the estate for the sum of £600 uh-huh. um, in the mid-1500s. And it was actually his son, Thomas Dolman II, who, when they inherited the manor, actually had Shaw House, as we see it today, built. And it was completed in 1581. Um, and interestingly, you may have spotted on the south side, on the south porch, there's some inscriptions in Greek I did. and Latin. I did. I wondered what they uh, were. Yes. So obviously, Thomas Dolman um, investing his money in, in property instead, actually, that made him very unpopular locally because, of course, he was closing his factories that employed a lot of people. Mm. So one of the um, inscriptions on the above the porch reads, "Let no envious man enter." <laughs> um, so he, he was aware that he wasn't very popular. But yeah. he went ahead and, and invested his money into Shaw and built the beautiful house we see today. It is. It's glorious. And what about the, the back range here, this northern range? Since we're looking at the building from this different perspective, it's all very much in keeping. Were there any changes that the family made early on or did they come? Did those changes happen later in later iterations of the house? Yeah, so... Um, it's very similar to the south side. You've got the central um, doorway, um, very symmetrical windows. Uh, very much you can see the H shape again from yes. this angle. Um, but this is an area that was amended, shall we say, but much later than the Dolman family. So we're fast forwarding now up to the Victorian age ah. and the 1850s. And they actually put on what I like to call a sort of an an extension, posh extension <laughs> onto the house. And if you think of the house as that H shape, the middle um, bar, if you like, was just extended. Wow. So they introduced a walkway on the ground floor and on the first floor. And the family at that time were the Eyre family and they were the first in over a hundred years to raise a family here. So they had quite a young family, ever growing. And that, of course, meant a lot of servants and staff. There were five staff members just looking after the children at that time. So they thought that instead of having the servants going through the main rooms, they would build onto the house this walkway where the staff can get from one wing to the other without interrupting interfering, the family. Interfering with the family. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so that came much later, but I'd love to explore the history of the Dolman family a little bit more because they had a very illustrious visitor, which means they must have risen quite high in status and prominence at the Elizabethan court. Can you, can you tell us about kind of what happened to their wealth, to the family over the rest of the Tudor period? And in fact, who came to stay here? Yeah, so if you think Thomas Dolman the first, the, the factory owner in Newbury, um, making a lot of his wealth through the cloth trade, then um, his son inherited, as I say, the, the house. He built this beautiful house, retired from the cloth trade, but they'd made so much money that they could then fund quite a few generations of education. They were educated at Oxford, um, and that, of course, put them in good standing to have good friends. Mm. Socially, <laughs> they were rising. Mm. Um, it also meant with their education and their money that they had good marriages, so that obviously them involved with some very important families 
But yeah, so Thomas Dolman II finished building the house in 1581, and only 11 years later, Queen Elizabeth I visited during her 1592 progress. Um, so she visited um, quite a few places locally, but if you think about Shaw, I mean, the, the places that she visited on that progress, Shaw would be one of the few that the people on that progress would still recognise. It's still, it hasn't been right. really altered since then, which yeah. is quite something to think about. You know, the view you're seeing at the bottom of the drive is the view she would have seen in 1592. Yeah, you're much, quite so. right, because so many of these places have been lost or altered beyond all recognition. Um, so. What do you know of the 1591 progress, just to put it in context for people? Where, where, where else did she go? I mean, did she just come to Berkshire? I doubt it very much. She tended to move around quite a lot. What do we know of that progress? So she travelled from London and there was a lot of involvement, especially in Berkshire, but I think she went a bit further as well. But it ended up back in Hampton Court um, in London. Um, but what we know from her stay here certainly is quite limited, unfortunately, but she did um, stay here and she was entertained nearby Donington Castle, which is now uh, sadly just a ruin of the, the gatehouse. Um, but it said that there was a stand put up there for what we think was probably a theatre performance for her while she was staying at Shaw House. So, Do we know how long she was here? I think a couple of days mm. from what I've read, um, but I appreciate just a couple of days would have been a huge cost and a huge effort to the family. So they, I'm not sure they were too pleased about that. I, I'm, I was going to say, I bet they were very glad it was only a couple of days yeah. and nothing any longer. So I, I think, I'm sure I've heard of people that were bankrupt from putting on these lavish stays and entertainment for yeah. her. You know, yeah. it, was, it was great in one way, obviously, if you think going from that cloth merchant only a few years before to then entertaining the Queen of England, that's quite a climb. So I know uh, people listening to this will know that, you know, I've spent probably more time studying and researching the early Tudor period, the Henrician period, where you've got quite a few, I suppose, upstarts. Upstarts as viewed by the aristocratic classes, <laughs> the likes of, you know, Thomas Wolsey and Thomas Cromwell, who seemed to come from nothing and became incredibly important men. Um, but this, this kind of elevation of simple cloth merchants into kind of wealthy, wealthy landed gentry of some significance, was that a hallmark of the Elizabethan period? I think, like you mentioned, I think there were a lot of families that um, found their status, shall we say, in the Elizabethan period. Whether that was a mixture of luck, of good business interests, it's often a mixture of the two. Um, but yes, it seems, certainly when I was doing a lot of the architectural research, so learning more about prodigy houses, you then learn about all the families that were building houses like Shaw to show off their new found status, their new found wealth. Mm. So they'd earned the money, they just needed a house to go alongside it to show off to people and increase their social standing. But yes, it seems that that happened quite frequently mm. in the Elizabethan age. And I know Henry was known for building a lot of palaces and um, royal households but in Elizabethan in the Elizabethan age it's more so that the new gentry were building them for her to show yeah. off to her so she didn't have to she didn't have to build any she had all these new gentry building for her so that was quite an interesting element architecturally of researching into Shaw. 
So going back to Elizabeth's visit here, I know you said you don't have many records, but I must ask you, do we have any idea where she stayed in the house and can you go and stand in that room? Sadly, no. Oh, um, no. I wish I could say yes and could take you to the room, um, but it is a bit of guesswork, a bit of imagination going. Um, but interestingly, in 1622, so a few years after Queen Elizabeth I visited, an inventory was made and really detailed every single room, every single item that was in that room. And there was one that was referred to as the Queen's Chamber. There's also the King's Lodge. So there's various rooms that could perhaps that be sounds hinting. very suspicious to me, Sarah. Exactly. <laughs> so I can certainly show you those. But yeah, because of the, the changes internally as well, it's sometimes hard to fully imagine Yes. the room she would have been in. But we have those hints and um, I can certainly show you the rooms. Well, why don't we go and have a look at the Queen's room and then muse over that point together? That would be great. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So let's go inside the house, uh, dear listeners. We are now stepping inside from the gardens and we've come into the back of the house, into the part of the house that Sarah was explaining was added on. And you can certainly see the old exterior wall. It's very clear, isn't it, Sarah, that this was the back of the house and this is the addition to it. Yes, yeah, so you've got the beautiful brick, which is obviously highlighting it as an external wall. But above that, you've also got the windows. Windows are still in um, situ. So people often ask, why have we got windows indoors? <laughs> and yes. That's because originally they were the external walls and external windows. So you can actually see the diamond-shaped glass there is the Elizabethan glass. I see, the yes. The discoloured glass there. Ah, so you've got some original Elizabethan glass as well. That's fantastic. So let's go, let's go to the Queen's room. Lead the way. Excellent. Follow me. Okay. See the hall area there, yes. Through yes. there, yeah. So is this always the main staircase? This is now the main staircase. It was thought to have been put in position here in the late 1690s in preparation for a visit from Queen Anne in 1703. So Queen Elizabeth I wasn't the only royal to come oh. here. Uh, Queen Anne visited as well in the early 1700s. So the staircase doesn't date to the Tudor times. Sadly, because of the different changes internally, we don't know what the Tudor staircase looked like, but it's very likely that it was in this position here. Uh -huh. um, interestingly here though, we, there's a beautiful large window that's looking out 
onto the great lawn there. But below that, where the woodwork of the staircase now is, on bright days like today, if you look closer, you can sometimes see light coming through and that's because there's a window below the main window that wasn't filled in when this amendment was made. The staircase was just sort of plumped on top to keep the <laughs> symmetry outside. So on bright days, you can see the sunlight coming through the slight cracks in the wood. <laughs> oh, how bizarre. That's incredible. Good. Well, we're up here on the first floor. Where do we need to go from here? So if we continue this way, we'll go along the wooden gallery. This is a fine gallery, isn't it? With some lovely, this does look original. Tell me this is original. <laughs> so this actual area is above our reception area that we walked into earlier. And it's that area that was added in the 1850s. But interestingly, for those eagle-eyed visitors, there is some graffiti on some of this panelling because it's dark wood panelling along this corridor. And it, some of it dates to 1744. So, as I mentioned earlier, this was introduced in 1850. So graffiti is earlier than the introduction of this walkway. And that's because this panelling was once on the second floor. So oh. it was moved here when the family created this walkway. I see, I see. So. so it could be a lot older. I mean, I must admit, looking at this, it's plain, the plain wooden panelling, it's not linen fold panelling, but it extends along the length of the gallery. And it looks old enough Absolutely. to be of the period. Yeah. Oh, and I love your creaky floorboards. Aren't they great? <laughs> If we just pause here again, you can see some of the windows. Yes. Because this would have been the original exterior, exterior. walls. So we've come to the end of the gallery, we're in the little lobby, and you have these kind of bricked up windows above. Such an interesting house, it just shows how houses get moved around and... Absolutely. I'm glad you're with us, Sarah, because I think I would be totally lost by now. <laughs> it did take me a little while when I first started working here to get used to where everything was. It's a rabbit warren, <laughs> isn't it, of corridors and rooms. It is. So these are our exhibition rooms, which highlight the very varied history of Shaw, um, 400 years worth, so a lot to fit in to mm. one space, but it goes in depth into the Dolman family, the, the rise of the Dolmans, all the way through up to the present day uses of Shaw. Now, the first thing that I've seen, because obviously I'm obsessed by Tudor stuff, is this fabulous piece of vellum upon which you have, looks like Latin, uh, Latin inscriptions. It's obviously an official document. You've got that beautiful manuscript. And within the first letter of Philippus, we have a seated figure of, I think what I'm seeing here is Philip II and Mary. I love these little pictures. <laughs> they, they're so, I mean, they're authentic and they're real. They've yeah. not been copied at a later date. These were done. And so I think sometimes these give us the most accurate representation. That's true, yeah. Absolutely. So it's very exciting. That. So what is this document? So it's a royal grant of lands and property, um, but basically the giving of Shaw, the estate of Shaw, to the Dolmans in 1557. And it's titled Philippus et Maria Regina. 
So Philip II. It's Philip II and yes. Queen Mary. Great. Wonderful. So that's dated 1557, so yeah. the penultimate year of Mary's reign. It's a wonderful document. And there's the huge, great big seal, seal yes. underneath. It's beautiful, isn't it? It is really gorgeous. And is that... Oh, it's P and M. So on the seal, you have a little... You have a picture of Philip again and Mary. You've got the royal coat of arms. They've both got their hands on what looks like... Yes, it's an orb, isn't it? They're both reaching out and have their hands on the orb. And underneath that, you've got the crown and their initials P and M. It's fantastic. Lovely, what an amazing it? amount of detail to go into to I just know. a seal. For a seal. I know. It's incredible. So what happened to the records at Shaw? You said, you know, there are not many records left. So why do some things like this survive, but you don't have other records? So, I mean, mainly it's due to time. Um, six generations of the Dolman family lived at Shaw, so it's very much the Dolman's home for many, many years. But in the 1720s, it was purchased by the Duke of Shandos, and over time it passed through various family hands. Um, and over that time, various documents were lost. Um, in the more modern history of Shaw, during the Second World War, the house was still very much a family home, but it was used to station soldiers. Um, it was requisitioned by the War Office, as many country homes yes. were. Um, but actually in 1943, due to bombing locally of a school, um, school, the school actually moved into Shaw, and it became Shaw House School for many, many years. So at that time, 1945, the house and estate was sold, and that's when the council purchased the house for its continued use as a school. And that's what it remained as until the 1980s. So over that time, obviously, the family furniture and paintings and all of that sort of thing was sold. And instead, you had classroom desks and all that goes with it in here. And so, and I, and I guess that's when the fine interiors, a lot of the fine interiors with the war requisition and then as a school. So you're, you're really left with quite plain rooms. I mean, some of the galleries we said are, are, are panelled, but, but most of the rooms are fairly plain, aren't they? They are. So um, it, particularly the, a few sales um, that are detailed um, and then we know the details of and that was in the early 1900s when Mrs Farquhar purchased the property in 1905 there was a sale of contents before she moved in um, and then once again in 1945 when the family sold the house and the estate so through the rooms yes you don't have the historical furniture or paintings as you perhaps would imagine you would from the outside but what I like about that is that when you come in the architecture does the talking mm -hmm. um, and I know I've said it before but often people will have different interests they might have an interest in the Tudor age but then others might like the Georgian age or even the Edwardian age so as you come into a room because you're not sort of guided by furniture you can decide really how you imagine that room would have looked um, but it does then mean that the rooms can be used as they are today which is we're very much a business and conference center um, so the rooms are set up with furniture and people have meetings and training here. But we're still very much a historic house and that's why we do these exhibitions and events. Mm. And having the room not filled with very delicate old mm. furniture is actually useful for, for that purpose. Um, but yeah, the rooms do the talking really. So before we move on, just to come back to this wonderful document, which is the, the sort of the document that was granting lands, where did this come from? Do we know how this survived? So although some documents, as I mentioned, were lost through different family ownership, 
quite a few elements of the history of the house were either kept or donated to the local museum. So a lot of what is on display in the exhibition room today is on loan either from Berkshire Record Office or from the local museum. Um, so luckily, some really crucial items, I mean this document, this Royal Grant, luckily was saved. Um, so luckily for us, we do have some lovely artifacts still. Um, but the archive itself was lost some time ago and I'm slowly working at rebuilding that ah, um, because we still, a lot of past pupils come and they'll have images or notebooks and things from their time here that I'm slowly then rebuilding. But yes, there's a beautiful old chest and we've got old photo albums, visitor books, all sorts of things from the history that luckily were saved because they were either donated or continued in the family. Yes. own the property. That is a fabulous chest, isn't it? Look at the internal metalwork associated lock. with the lock. That's incredible. Wow, you don't get anything like that these days. That's amazing. What, how old is this? We're, we're not entirely sure, but we think it does date to the dolmens. Right. Um, so maybe they have the all their most it. important records yeah, and documents absolutely. kept Locked away. Oh, that's wonderful. leads nicely to talking perhaps about how people can visit and what's going on here. What would you like to tell us about that? Yes, so as I mentioned, our main business model, if you like, is the fact that we're a business and conference centre. But alongside that, we of course have our public open days. Very much still a historic house and we love people coming to visit and exploring the house. We're free of charge to come and visit. Wow. So <laughs> it's a great place to come for, for a day out. But the house is open on weekends from February time to September. And we also open during the school holidays on weekdays as well. And uh, within that, we have various events. We have outdoor theatre, cinema, the fair days, uh, the summer fair coming up in July. So there's always lots going on, um, but visitors are also welcome to come and just see the house and explore the rooms. Oh, that's here. fantastic. And you've got exhibitions that you put on? Yes, so we've got the exhibition room that we're in now. Obviously, this is a permanent exhibition, mm. but we do also have a, a new exhibition for 2021, um, was our Dress for Sure costume exhibition. So did you want to come and have yes, a look? Yes, I'd definitely like to have a, a look because I think that allows us to complete our journey. I was asking you before about where might Elizabeth I have stayed if she came to shore? And I think this is, this is what you think is the Queen's room or the Queen's chamber, as mentioned on that inventory? Yes, so these areas were known as um, the Queen's Lodge and the King's Lodge over time. So it's likely these rooms were used for royal visits, yeah. shall we say. 
Yeah, and what part of the building are we in at the moment? What, north part? So this is northwest I see. now. Right. Um, so, so yes, this is our lovely Dress for Shore costume exhibition. So on a usual day, people coming to visit these costumes, they'd be throughout the house. I see. Um, but because we've got various rooms in use today, they are all in here together. <laughs> and so basically what, what you're showing here is a series of costumes through the ages to illustrate the different generations and the fashions that would have been part of the history of the house. Exactly that. So it was actually myself and my colleague Gabriella in lockdown one, I think it was, we were sat twiddling our thumbs, no one else was here obviously, and we thought how can we bring the history to life a bit more for people in a very visual way. And we thought we could pick out the, the most recognisable characters, I suppose, of the Shaw House history and recreate what they would have worn whilst they were here. So it really creates a formal timeline, if you like, yes. a very visual timeline of the history of the house. It makes it, highlights the social history yes. of the house, yes. certainly. Yeah, so we've got from the Tudor period, right the way through to kind of a, a 1940s soldier, basically, from the Second World War. Exactly, yeah, so we start with the Dolmans who built Shaw House in 1581, then goes through to look at the Civil War years, uh, the royal visits, we've got a Queen Anne dress. Also, we've introduced the Georgian Duke, the Duke of Shandos, very flamboyant there. <laughs> yes. um, and then it goes along to the more of the Edwardian age, and then, as you say, through to the soldier. And we've also All got the school, school pupil as well. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, new for this year, we're having two new uh, costumes. We're having a Victorian ball gown made, which I'm very excited oh. about. Are you going to wear it, Sarah? That's I, the question. I hope so. <laughs> That's perks of the job, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, uh, yeah, a Victorian ball gown. And we're actually also going to be introducing one of us, a Shaw House staff member, because we thought it's nice. We've got yeah. the full timeline then if we've got one of us. So um, new Brilliant. costumes are on the way. Excellent. Okay. So one thing to point out in this room in particular are, you'll notice the, what we call reveals. Mm -hmm. So there's this Georgian panelling on the wall, but some of them are swung open, they're on hinges. Mm -hmm. And we've done that because during restoration in the early 2000s, they took all these panels off the walls throughout the house, numbered them, restored them and replaced them. Right. And in doing so, they actually uncovered a lot of the Elizabethan fabric of the building. So I mentioned these are the more sort of Georgian panels, but beneath that they found Elizabethan doorways, windows, fireplaces. Oh, how exciting. All sorts of things. Yeah. So in this room, we're in 1581 room on the first floor now, um, but you'll see the re reveal over here shows an Elizabethan fireplace archway. Yeah, I can see it. Um, and also over here, you've got a doorway as well. Ah, that's what that is. Right, okay. How exciting. So the, the other areas I downstairs. See. Yes. So you've got the you've got the panels are open and then be, beyond that you've got the 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 plaster wall but these huge oak beams and then the the oak frame doorway yeah. in there which was an original Elizabethan doorway. That's really revealing isn't it because houses are just you know they are changed over time and you do lose the floor plan and yeah. this is like <laughs> this is like pulling away time I and know. actually sort of revealing what was once there. That's just so much and fun. And again I think I mentioned earlier you know especially my research for Shaw House is when I answer one question I seem to have then 10 more unanswered 
And a lot of that is around this um, because we've tried to get so many different floor plans of yes. how the house would have looked in 1581. And this helps slightly, but because of the various changes, it's hard to sometimes mm. picture where things were. But I think one of the more interesting reveals is downstairs in the hall uh, where there's the buttery door behind a panelling. So the buttery would have been a room used for storing food, but beer especially. Yes. And there's a lovely witch mark on it. Oh, beautiful witch mark on it. So they were protecting the right things. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. So you've not managed to find a floor plan of the original house. We have a good idea of how it would have been, but a lot of it is sort of educated guesswork, I suppose, which it, it would have to be. We don't have an official plan mm. of what it would have looked like. The inventory that was written in 1622 does note, as I mentioned, the room, so mm. we can get kind of an idea of yeah, how yeah. things would have looked, but nothing's certain in history, really. <laughs> so, as I say, often brings up more questions than it answers. All right, then. <laughs> and just for fun, Sarah, I've got to ask you, do you have any ghosts? Well, it's funny you ask in this room, because I'm often asked in this particular room, I think because we're in the north west side of the house now it's quite a bit colder you probably felt that as you walked yeah. in it's one of the more cold rooms but um during restoration in the early 2000s the builders some of them actually refused to work here once the sun had gone down they felt very uncomfortable in this one particular room and we do have ghost nights throughout the year as well when groups come in and do investigations and they seem to pick up a lot in this particular room. So it's interesting you asked that question in here. That is spooky. Um, I'm yet to see anything, but maybe that's because they know I'm here all the time and they're, <laughs> they're respectful of my space. But yes, um, a few people have had experiences here. So Now I don't know whether I'm making this up, but I could kind of feel something in this room. It's this room. People feel it in this particular room. <laughs> okay, ghosts, I'm going now. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Good, good. Good, so just to wrap up then, um, I guess you must have a website where people can come and check out all the visitor information they need. We do, absolutely. Um, they can go to our website or our social media pages. Um, our website is West Berkshire Heritage, so if you just put that into Google, you'll, you'll find us. Um, and it's always good to check our website before visiting, just in case we've, we're closed for any private event or things like that. Yeah, and I suppose obviously you can get here by car, there's a place to park your car, but can you get here by train or what are the other forms of transport for those people that maybe don't have a car to hand? You can, absolutely. So firstly, there's free parking as well here um, if you were to drive, but the town of Newbury is only a walk away. It's about a 10 minute walk into the centre of town. So if you're coming by bus or train, if you go to Newbury, and then you can follow the signs for Shaw House, or I know lots of people get it on their phones now, don't yeah, they? <laughs> Make absolutely. their way, but we're, we're very accessible from the town centre. Great, that's excellent. Well, I think that just remains for me to say thank you so much, Sarah, for being our guide and thank showing us around coming. today. I hope you enjoyed it. I did indeed. <laughs> so that's a big thank you to Sarah Somerville, our guide for today, and of course to West Berkshire Heritage, who care for Shaw House. I hope you will find time to put this beautiful house on your travel itinerary and see a little bit of Elizabethan England and just the kind of house that you could hope to own if you were the gentry on the rise. OK, my friends, 
If you are listening to this podcast for the first time or you're relatively new to the Tudor Travel Guide, don't forget that I have a blog which is full of in-depth, deeply researched blogs about Tudor places, putting people and events in the context of the places in which they happened. And you can find the blog at www.thetudortravelguide.com. And if you want to be kept updated to all the latest podcasts that are coming out, latest blogs and videos, and remember, you can choose your own adventure on the Tudor Travel Guide, then do make sure that you subscribe. You'll find a place to do that on the homepage of the blog. And I'm very excited to say that I have been working away in the background to do some big redevelopments with the blog. So it's going to look bang up to date. It's looking gorgeous and it's coming your way, hopefully, by the end of June. Now, if you're also interested in what's coming up on the horizon for the Tudor Travel Guide, well, I have a very big new project that I have been working away on in again <laughs> in the background. And hopefully I'll be able to launch that sometime over the summer into the early autumn but this, my friends, is really going to be a magnus opus for me. I've been listening very carefully to what followers of the Tudor Travel Guide really want from me and weaving that into my own passions. And in fact, there is a match made in heaven. And I'm so looking forward to be able to bring this to you and getting really, really stuck into it. So watch this space. Again, if you subscribe to the blog via the Tudor Travel Guide homepage, you'll be kept bang up to date with all the latest news. And then finally, looking a little further down the road, we have my annual virtual summit. Now, that won't be... Um, going live until the end of October, but you'll start to hear about that in September after the summer is over. And this year, it is all about Anne Boleyn. I've already been recording interviews with the likes of Professor Dermot McCulloch, uh, historian Gareth Russell. And in fact, a little later this week, I'm going to be meeting up with Tracy Borman at Hampton Court Palace to record something about Anne and Elizabeth. And there is going to be more, my friends. It's really going to be a bumper year. I think the best yet. So again, I'm looking forward to be able to bring that your way. Right. Phew. There's a lot coming up, so I think it's time for a well-deserved holiday. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you have some time off planned. And perhaps you're even coming over here to the UK on some Tudor travels. And if you are, of course, don't forget to drop me a note in my Facebook group. Post some pictures. Tell us where you've been. What have you loved? What are your top tips for travelling? That's exactly what my Facebook group, which is associated with this podcast, is all about. So just search for the Tudor Travel and History Show Facebook group, apply to join, and I'll let you in. Okay, well, hopefully I'll see you there. And in the meantime, I'll be catching up with you next month. So I look forward to bringing you another episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. Until then, my friends, keep well, and I'll see you around the Tudor sphere. Thank you for 
for tuning in to today's episode of the Tudor History and Travel Show. If you've loved the show, please take a moment to subscribe, like and rate this podcast so that we can spread the Tudor love. Until next time, my friends, all that remains for me to say is happy time travelling. <laughs>